Well, good morning, church. Great to see you guys. Get this. This is my first time preaching in three months. So get ready. Sarah Johnson, my assistant, made fun of me. She said, wow, Mitchell, you got six pages of notes. You got a lot to say. You've been just thinking a lot the last three months. So anyways, if you're new, my name is Mitchell, the lead pastor here, and just so glad you guys are here. Like Maggie said, we'd love to meet you right after the service. Uh, this summer has been wonderful for me and my family. We kind of started off in, in uh, late May, early June, doing a little six-week break or sabbatical, a little mini sabbatical. It was so needed and helpful and refreshing for me and my family. And then the rest of the summer, we had different people preaching, communicating. So thank you again to those that did, Jeremy, Larry, Victor, Madeline, a few others. Thank you guys so much again. And then we had uh, last month. Yeah, give it up. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then last month, we did a little uh, series called uh, Around the Movement. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with Antioch, you're going to get to hear a little bit of our story in my message this morning. But we're part of a larger movement or network of churches around the nation, around the world. And you got to hear from different pastors and leaders that came into town and, and preached. And anyway, so, but I'm happy to be back. Now, some of you new faces start leaving in the next few weeks when I start preaching again. I guess I'll know why, but anyways, I love you, and I'm glad you're here, and I'm hoping all I'm going to do is just preach the truth of the Word of God, and we get stirred, all right? You guys ready? Here we go. So um, what I'm calling this morning is Vision Sunday, and what we want to do is just take a few steps back, and I want us to remember who we are. I want us to remember, even more specifically, who has God called us to be as a people. So if you are new or newer here to Antioch, this I think will probably be pretty helpful just to understand who we are, where we came from, and what we're going for. And then also for those of you that have been around for a while, this will be a reminder. But I was just thinking this week as I knew I was going to prepare, several times in Peter's letters he wrote to these churches, he said, I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder. And so it's just actually so healthy and so good for us to go back to the basics, to go back to the foundation and be stirred up again, because unfortunately, what's natural for all of us is to, to drift a little bit from the main things, from the main focus. And so I want to stir us up by way of reminder this morning. All right, you guys ready? Here we go. So let me, um, let me start way, way back and um, just explain a little bit about where our church came from, where the name Antioch came from. And um, explain a few things for you. So anybody, before you heard of our church locally, did anybody know the name Antioch before? Have you seen it somewhere? A few of you have. Where did you see it first? Seattle. <laughs> Great, Seattle, because there's Antioch there. But okay, maybe that was a bad set of questions. So it's in the Bible. <laughs> Actually, the first time you saw it was probably right there on our screen. Okay. Uh, or a billboard of another church called Antioch. So anyways, Antioch is the name of a city um, in the New Testament where one of the early churches um, were. And um, at this church, you can find out information about this in Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 13, if you want to write that down for a reference. And um, here is a couple descriptors of what it says about that church that was in the city of Antioch, which is modern-day Turkey. So chapter 11, it says it was a multi-ethnic church. It, the hand of the Lord was on them. It said a great number turned to the Lord. Uh, the grace of God was, evidence, was evident. The people there were faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. They were hungry to learn and to grow. They were Christ-like. It was the city um, and the group of people that were first called Christians. And in fact, that was actually a derogatory term because people kept looking at these followers of Jesus and be like, you're like little, little Christs. I'm going to call you Christians, you little Christian. You're like, <laughs> like, so they're like mimicking these followers of Jesus that like looked and lived and sounded like and the way they lived their life. I was like, you remind me of Jesus. But it's actually a compliment. Okay, and they, they were a prophetic people. They heard the voice of God. They were a generous people. So that's all in uh, Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 13. And a couple other things that we see is um, there were prophetic giftings. There were teaching gifts. Uh, they were a people of worship. They were people that fasted and prayed. They listened to God. And then lastly, they sent people out. So I think a lot of us are familiar with a guy by the name of Paul. And uh, he wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote the majority of the New Testament and Paul and a, a buddy of his named Barnabas, they were sent out from the church at Antioch to go and plant multiple churches all throughout kind of the Middle East, the Mediterranean. And then they would circle back 
and land at Antioch, be encouraged there, be filled up, and then be sent out again, go plant more churches. Nod your head if that at least sounds somewhat familiar to you. Okay. So anyways, all that being said, um, this is where we get our name from. And um, in the early 90s, and officially, I guess, around 1999, there is a group of folks in Waco, Texas, that looked at this church they found in the scriptures in Antioch, and they said, you know what, we want to be a, a people like this, committed to a passion for Jesus and what he's doing in the earth, a healthy, vibrant, yet humble and broken and needy for the Lord church community that's seeing the life and the presence and the glory of God in their midst, but also desiring to reproduce that or multiply that out in other places so that other cities and other communities can experience a life-transforming community that's centered on the presence of Jesus, but also focus on the mission of God to bring the gospel around the world. And so there's a group of folks that decided, hey, let's do this thing. And uh, so in 1999, the first Antioch was started in Waco, Texas. And since then, we've been continuing to follow as the Lord leads, to plant other churches, uh, and then this is kind of where it gets into our personal story. In 2009, Antioch Waco planted a church in College Station, Texas, where my wife and I were seniors at uh, Texas A&M. And <laughs> got a few Aggies in the room. Uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And then some non-Aggie fans. All right, thank you. <laughs> Listen, you're going to like me if you don't like Aggies because I'm like the worst Aggie ever. Anyways, uh, but... Anyway, so in 2009, Antioch was planted, um, and uh, that was actually before Beth and I were dating, and uh, she was really plugging into Antioch, and I kind of pretty much, I'd like to tell people, I just followed Beth to Antioch and just found myself there, because I told somebody, uh, actually a leader at the time, I was like, you know, I feel like God has some key relationships for me at Antioch, and I was right, ha, got married, let's go, all right. (laughs) <laughs> but he didn't really like that. Anyways, because I was leaving his church. Anyways, okay. So um, anyways, let me yeah tell you our story. So um, got, a, got involved with Antioch, started to serve in, doing a couple things there in College Station. And um, I graduated A&M in 2010, was a teacher for a couple years. And then during that last year of teaching, my wife and I were doing what Antioch has and is called the Antioch Discipleship School which is like a 10-month kind of intensive program of growing and being stretched in the spiritual disciplines, just understanding the Word of God and growing in our character and Christ-likeness and living on mission. And halfway through that discipleship school, this was probably 2012, 2013, uh, I was invited to be the college pastor at the Antioch there in College Station, and I did that for six years, so about 2013 to 2019. And then, um, let me backtrack a little bit because then it starts the story of how we got here. Uh, it was about 2016 that the Lord started to kind of what I'll call whisper to me. Some of us know what that means is you just get this nudge that something's about to change in your life. You get this little nudge of like, I think something's happening, and I think God might be speaking. You know, hearing God's voice is a topic that's all of us forever are going to learn. How do we hear God's voice? But I started getting this nudge and this sense that the Lord was putting church planning on our heart. And let me be honest with you, here's how that conversation went, or here's how I summarize it. It was one of those things like, I think it's God, but I sure hope it's not. (laughs) Because I had enough sobriety at that time to realize that if he were to ask us to uproot ourselves from where we were and go somewhere we've never been before or didn't have any connections and to plant, start something from nothing, I had enough sobriety that that might be difficult, (laughs) And I was right. Yeah. But anyway, so we, I just, in that conversation, I said, Lord, okay, I'm willing. I'm willing if you do bring clarity. And then it turns out that the next year, 2017, the Lord started bringing some clarity. Uh, Fayetteville and Northwest Arkansas, we was not on our radar at all. We have no history here, no relationships here, no family here, nothing. Uh, I don't think we'd ever really been here. I think we, on the way back from Branson, we passed by Fayetteville. And I said, oh, look, a university. Anyways. But that was uh, not on our radar, but at the beginning of 2017, the Lord started to speak, started to confirm, and we went from January 2017 to March 2017, having no idea about Northwest Arkansas, to being convinced that God was speaking to us. And here's, uh, this hopefully will be a little bit funny to you, Uh, when you are trying to figure out what God is saying, just look for signs and confirmation, ask Him to speak, and sometimes He does. So for example, uh, I had this inkling of church planning, and I started thinking about who do we bring with us, and I didn't tell anybody because I wanted to keep it sensitive to me and the Lord. Obviously, I told Beth, and I thought of uh, three couples in particular and didn't tell them or anything, 
And then one week, I think it was end of February 2017, two of these three couples came up to me without talking to each other, and they looked at me in the eyes and said, Mitchell, you know what's strange? God's putting Fayetteville, Arkansas in my heart. I said, really? <laughs> Tell me about that. A couple days later, different couple, didn't communicate with anybody. And uh, they said, you know, this is strange, Mitchell, but God's really speaking Arkansas to my wife and I. And I was like, oh, my God. And at the time, I was, like, you know, discipling these guys. I was trying to, like, help them. You know, okay, let's hear God's voice. So I kind of just said something like, okay, that's awesome. That sounds nice. You know, just keep praying, talking to God about it. And then I leave my office. I shut the door. I was like, Lord, what the heck? Oh, my gosh. What is going on here? And, uh, and then a few weeks later, uh, just someone uh, came up to me as I was processing all this. And they just said, hey, Mitchell, I feel like the Lord is just uh, calling you to church plant. And so, ready? Calling you to church plant. Fayetteville, Arkansas, Arkansas. I think God was saying something. I just couldn't quite hear. Anyways, he was speaking to me and us and our family that we should go do this thing. Um, but it was, a, um, it was a yes that we gave him, but it was, a, um, it was a journey that he had us on of just confirming, like, yes, go and do this. We submitted it to our elders and leaders at the time. They continued to pray through it and got more and more confirmation. It was open door after open door after open door, and then we came. But let me just also comment on this, and then I'll get into the actual message. This is all the intro, okay, guys? But this is maybe insightful for some of you. You're like, where did this church come from? Um, so just to be clear, um, I was not itching to leave uh, College Station. I loved what I was doing as the college pastor. We were seeing some really incredible fruit, really encouraging things. We were, like, grounded there. Uh, we'd been there for 13 years. I had an amazing relationship with the lead pastor and the staff there, um, and like things were, and I felt so much purpose in life and what I was doing. But you know what trumps things in our life going well, having purpose, and seeing fruit? What trumps all of that is a willingness to obey and follow Jesus no matter what he might ask us to do. Now, praise the Lord, oftentimes those things go hand in hand. <laughs> where we're doing something we have purpose in, it's going well, we enjoy it, there's good fruit. And the Lord's saying, great, keep doing that. But we also want to always keep those things open-handed to the Lord because at the end of the day, what really was hitting me in this season of the Lord calling us here was just remembering again, whose life is mine? Is it mine or is it the Lord's? And really, this is a... This is a good starting point for us this morning, especially in light of what we're talking about. And this is a, a, I guess, a topic of how do we position our life? And here's a decision that all of us will need to make, and that decision is, who are you living for? You could also say, what are you living for? But I like to say who, because the best answer is a who. <laughs> My encouragement to anybody and everybody in this room is that you answer that question, who are you living for? It's for Jesus. There are so many great things to chase after in life. There are so many blessings, but I don't want us to be a people. I don't want to be a person that settles for good things and miss the best thing, which is whatever the Lord might be speaking and calling. So it was, a, I guess, a topic of surrender to the Lord. And it reminded me of this phrase that the Lord spoke years and years ago, probably right when I started leading the college ministry, probably about 2013, 14 and um, went on this little retreat and just was listening to God. I said, Lord, what are you speaking? What are you saying? And he gave me this little phrase, and we'll hop it up here on the screen. And it says this. It says, the possibilities are endless with a people fully surrendered to Jesus. That phrase just kind of came to my mind. And I wrote it down in my journal. I was like, wow, okay. Possibilities are endless with a, with a people fully surrendered to Jesus. Another way to say that is God can do anything with a person, and especially, I love the plural form of this, with a group of people that say, I belong to you, Jesus. I'm surrendered to you. Now, when I say the word surrender, I don't want you to think like, oh, that's for the radical extreme people that have been following Jesus for years and do that crazy stuff, like go to the mission field and do that, do that. No, no, no. Literally, in order to even have a relationship with God whatsoever that's actually real, it actually starts with surrender. If you look throughout the Gospels, which our church read through the Gospels this summer, like you'll see him inviting people to follow him. And you know what he says? From the very beginning, drop everything and follow me. Now, here's the deal. If you feel in your heart, you, you, I'm not ready to do that. If you're willing just to take one step and drop one thing, the Lord will work with you. He'll help you. He'll help you. But it's like we want to make sure we're going in the right direction. Another, uh, maybe the converse of saying this 
um, is the other life that we could embrace that's actually really easy to embrace. And something to the extent that the, the possibilities are limited <laughs> with the people not surrendered to Jesus. There are some limits if we don't let the Lord have his full way. All that being said, this was a kind of a theme and a banner, and I would even say a bedrock to even the initial call to move here. And I think this is a good starting point for us this morning as we remember who we are. We belong to Jesus. It starts with surrender. And don't think of the radical things. Just think of like, all right, Lord, I want to know you, and I give you my life. That, that's surrender. You know, it starts with a simple phrase from our mouth to the Lord. And anyways, the Lord builds upon this, and as we embrace a life of surrender to Jesus, and as we get to know him, what we start discovering is that there are certain ways that the Lord wants us to live. There are certain uh, values that he has that he wants inside of his people. And here at Antioch, we have the language that God's given us uh, to communicate those things is our three core values, and that's what I'm going to talk about this morning, and those are love Jesus, love each other, and live on mission. So we have the bedrock of surrender and then we say, all right, Lord, if I'm yours, how do you want me to live? And here's the language that God's given us that I'm going to communicate this morning is we love Jesus, we love each other, and we live on mission. All right? So if you look, uh, when, you got, when you got in here on your seat, there's a little card. looks like that. Wave it up just to make sure. Let me show me that you, see, you have this. Great. If you need a pen. I think there's also. Thank you. Yeah, you can also go like this if you're hot. I always love that. Um, and uh, anyway, so what we're going to do, you can use this if you want. Mainly it's just for you to take notes and just to kind of track along. Um, and what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to, in just a minute, I'm going to break down these three core values. I'm going to give you a little um, uh, definition, talk about scripture, where we get this idea from, and then give a few examples or some actions of the way this looks. And then, instead of me telling you a bunch of stories, I'm actually going to invite a few people up here to share some testimonies about how their life has been impacted by embracing these values of Jesus. All right? So it's get ready to be encouraged. You're going to hear from our own church body how the Lord's touching and changing us. All right, but here's a two quick, I guess I'll say, disclaimers before I jump into this. And that is really this, like the answer to this question, why does it even matter uh, to have core values? Why does it even matter, like, how we live, okay? Why does it even matter? Because, you know, it's all grace-based anyways. We just believe in Jesus. Okay, but again, <laughs> believing in Jesus, following Jesus, that there's a baseline of surrender. I'm saying we're yours, Lord. And especially in my position as a leader of a church, like, there is easy to just think, like, what success is is more people in our building, more bodies in our chair. But I want you guys to know that that's not what we're chasing after. What we're going for is for a people that actually are living the ways of Jesus, okay? And so, like, here's another way to say it. I would rather have a smaller church of people really embracing a lifestyle of wholehearted surrender and obedience to Jesus than have a bunch of people here where we don't actually look like God at all. We don't, like, look like Jesus at all. You know, like, I'd rather do that <laughs> because the Lord's call is not to, like, be bigger. And it's, like, like, his questions to us is not how much and how many. Like, this is the, the, the call of our culture is prove your success by what I can see you do and how much you can gain. And it's, it's a trap because you'll realize, like, oh, it's never going to be enough. But here's what we're going for is I want real disciples of Jesus. I want you to love them. Listen, if you, if you do not follow Jesus right now, I'm so glad you're here. This is, like, the best decision you have made. And I hope you, what you experience is something different than what you'll find in the world. You'll find something different. You'll find life. You'll find encouragement. You'll find genuine people. Now, we're all broken, and we're messed up, and we're imperfect, but we're, we're going after Jesus. And when we sing, holy are you, we mean it because he's so good. He's so holy, and we want to know him. So that's my ramble of what we're going for is we define success not by how much, how many, but, man, we want to embrace a lifestyle of really following Jesus and in our struggle of embracing a following of Jesus, we're here to help each other. So if you don't have it all together, welcome. Me, I don't have it all together either. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you have no idea. Beth has an idea. But, and some of you that are close to me. But, man, we, we don't, we're not giving off something fake to try to get people to stay. I want, like, I've always said this over the years, like, I wish I didn't preach, like, facing all of you. I wish I could just preach this way, though it would be kind of awkward, because we're, we're all going after, not the stage, we're going after Jesus. And I'm with you. 
And as the leader of this church, I want to be like uh, the first follower of Jesus and saying, guys, let's make sure we're looking at him and following him. And we're here to help each other along the way. All right. Where was I? Okay, so, okay, one more thing I want to say before we jump into this. Oh, I was about to do this, right? All right. So one more thing I want to say uh, before I break these things down is I want to give you some gospel clarity. Everybody say gospel clarity. Okay, here's the gospel clarity for us. Because of the blood of Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in him, you are, you are welcomed into the family of God. You are a child of God. You are dearly loved. You are a beloved child. The Lord takes pleasure in you. He looks at you with, with a smile, with delight. And so as I break down these core values and give you some examples of the ways it can look, this is not a list of things to prove ourselves to God, to measure up or to earn anything. Because we are already loved and accepted and chosen and well-pleasing to the Lord. This is also not going to be a list of things to fit in here at church. But what this simply is, is the people that are confident in the, in the Lord's love for them, this is the overflow of our love back to God in different ways it can look. Not to prove anything, not to earn anything, not to get anything, but just saying, Lord, you love me so much. You did all this for me. Lord, how can I live? I'm yours. And it's an overflow of love from a place of already being accepted. You guys tracking with me? It's actually very important that you know that you don't need to prove yourself to God. It's very important because you'll get yourself in that little hamster wheel of trying to be enough, trying to do enough. You start looking at that person over there. Oh, my gosh, I can't worship like that. Oh, my gosh, I can't do that. And you start, no, 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 no. You're already loved. You're welcomed. You're his child. And he's going to help you as you learn to follow him. It's really great news. Amen. Woo! I like preaching. I remember this. This feels great. All right. Number one, love Jesus. Everybody say, love Jesus. <laughs> All right. Here's where we get this idea from. Mark 12, verse 30. says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That is commonly known as the greatest commandment or the first commandment. And so I'm going to start here. And let me give you a little bit of a definition and expressing it. So here's what I want to say when we talk about the word love. And remember, this first value, loving Jesus, is directed toward Jesus. When we think about love, I'm going to say two things that I think will be helpful for different people in this room. When I define love, and again, you can take some notes. You'll see some definitions. It's not going to be super clear, but just follow along as best you can. When I think of love, think not just emotion, but think, like I was already talking about, a life of surrender, sacrifice. Love is more than an emotion. It is it is also like a willingness to lay your life down for another. So when we talk about loving Jesus, we're talking about, man, willingness to lay our life down for Jesus. But let me also say it this way because I think this will actually be more helpful for some people in this room. Love is also more than laying your life down and sacrificing. It's also an emotion. It's also a feeling. It's also desire and affection. If you're married in this room and you say you love your spouse, but it's like a dry, kind of like stiff, I love her. I take her on dates sometimes. Uh, I, I, uh, yeah, she's great, but I really just want to serve her. It's like, there's no affection and emotion. What is going on? It's like anybody can see that and say there's something wrong. And for us, in, re- in regards to God, sometimes because we're trying to avoid the extreme of over-emotionalism, we think sometimes it's more spiritual to not have any emotion in our love for God. <laughs> okay? And it's true. We don't want to swing over there. But, but we don't want it just a dry, rigid, only intellectual love for God. We want to, our heart to burn for Him. We want, we want love to overflow, joy, delight. I hear it so many, I mean, you think about the other things that you say you love, okay? I love college football, okay? I I love the beach, or I love Wright's Barbecue, you know, whatever. And the way you talk about these things, you're probably expressing emotion. Like, yes, or when you're at the football game, you're shouting, you're jumping, you're screaming, you're getting so broken when the Razorbacks lose, okay? You're expressing all these things, Um, but then when you talk about your love for God, it's kind of like, I love him. You know, like, and I'm not talking about there's certain ways you have to express yourself. I'm just saying, like, it's okay to be excited about God. 
And listen, when I entered into a church that <laughs> expressed itself and their love for God, listen, here's the deal. I got saved at 17. I went to this church, and I was like, what are these people doing? You know, so I was freaked out. So if you're freaked out, welcome to the club. You, if, you, if you open your heart up to the Lord for real, genuinely, then, then you might freak some other people out in your future too. All right. Anyways, just want to open our hearts to the Lord. Loving him means we're showing attention, affection, focus, desire, and, and willingness to surrender to him. Because it would also be wrong to say, I'm jumping up every time in worship, and I'm weeping, and I'm laughing. But then when the Lord asks you to give up something that's not good in your life, you're unwilling to surrender. That, that's also not where we want to be either. All right, so a couple of ways that it can look, or quote-unquote actions. Let me, I'm going to list off a bunch of things. It's not going to be on the screen, so jot down whatever you can remember. But the ways that loving Jesus can look for us, really, first and foremost, spending daily time with Jesus let me say that a couple different ways. Spending daily time in God's presence, spending daily time of intentional focus on God, spending daily time um, silencing out the other distractions and noises to really tune your mind, your soul, your heart to the Lord. A couple ways that can look or things you can do to help you is reading the Bible, prayer, worship, even fasting, intercession. Here's a couple other ways that our love for Jesus can be expressed. Uh, corporate worship times, a lifestyle of integrity and purity, and really even better said, a lifestyle of repenting of sin when the Lord convicts you. A lifestyle of humility and teachability, a lifestyle of generosity and giving money or giving time and giving gifts, a lifestyle where we obey the promptings of the Lord, a lifestyle of Sabbath and rest, an intentional pulling back to enjoy the Lord and let him enjoy you. These are all examples of ways that our love for Jesus can look. But let me give you a couple things to note before I wrap up this time and you hear a few testimonies. Um, a couple things to note about this topic. First John 4 says, we love God because what? He first loved us. If you're newer to church, that is just a powerful truth. We love God, and again, we express our love, not because we're trying to prove ourselves to him, but it's because he loves us first. And let me just say that some of you, this is the only thing you need to remember today. Okay, you ready? Can you look at me? God loves you. And that love is not an obligatory, tolerable love. It is an enjoyment of you as his creation. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. When the Lord thinks about you and looks at you, you are a delight to him. He loves you. And for whatever reason in our culture, based on the way we use the word love, sometimes it's even more powerful to say the Lord likes you. <laughs> he likes, he enjoys you. He wants to spend time with you. You're not a bother to him. And, and until, and, and honestly, there's, every, there's so many things that rage against that truth, but I'm at least going to tell you this morning. That God loves you. Actually, look at somebody next to you and tell them that God loves them. Go ahead, tell them. God say, God loves you. All right, last thing I want to say, kind of thing to note about this is in our love for Jesus, and especially embracing these kind of lifestyles, especially like, you know, you could summarize a lot of these things in spiritual disciplines, but you just, you just want to remember it's not about just doing the right things and checking the right things off. It is about knowing God. Okay, John 17, 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know the one true God and Jesus Christ that he sent. It is wrapped up in intimately knowing and experiencing a real person risen from the dead. It's about knowing God. And all these things help us get to know him. You, you're not going to, it's kind of dangerous to kind of go on this path. I'm going to experience God. I'm going to know God. But you just, you never read the Bible. Because <laughs> you might experience some spiritual things, but they might not be grounded in the truth of God's word. But at the same time, it's, if you, mem you can memorize this thing and still not know God. Jesus, when he came to the earth, the, the people he had the most problem with were those that memorized the entire Old Testament or the entire Torah. First five books of the Bible, because they missed the point. It's about knowing God. Now, the best way that we get to know someone is by spending time with them. And it's the same thing is true in our relationship with God. The best way you get to know him is just spending time in his presence. All right? And spending time with Jesus, it allows us to get to know him. 
and it stirs our heart to love him, and it changes us, transforms us. And specifically, you might want to write this down, it gives you a sense of security in your identity as a beloved child of God. And when we embrace this value of loving Jesus, spending time with him, it changes us. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite a few people up, and they're going to share a couple testimonies about how spending time with God or just embracing this lifestyle of loving Jesus has really impacted their life. I think those two people are Lauren and Jonathan Maddox. Where are you? Come on up here, both of you. All right. Let's testify. Why Why don't you come over there on that side? Testify. Okay, tell us, how has this impacted your life? Lauren, you can start. Um, So I started attending Antioch in January, and shortly after, Mitchell did a series on time with God. Uh, He modeled the different components, and one of them was um, listening to God's voice. So I've spent time in God's word for most of my life, but I never knew that God spoke um, through the Holy Spirit to us individually. And so in February, I started to hear God's voice for myself, and it changed everything for me. specifically hearing my identity from him every morning, like God loves me and he's with me um, and he cares about me um, and knowing that like he made me and that changes how I go about my day every day. Amen. What's up everybody? Uh, my name is Jonathan and uh, I started going to Antioch back before we started day, church. Bro. Yeah, 2019. Um, and since then, God has restored my life. Uh, I went through about eight years of depression and chasing after everything the world had to offer. Uh, I was so far off that I couldn't climb my way out of the pit that I had dug myself. Uh, through community and spending time with God, he has, he has and still is refining me. Uh, my prayer during my time with Jesus is often Psalms 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Allowing God to search the deepest parts of my heart and to bring them to the forefront is often painful. Learning to love Jesus can hurt at times, uh, surrendering my flesh. Uh, The closer I get to Jesus, the more reality sets in that I need him. I rely on him and I trust him. Thanks for sharing, guys. Give it up for these guys. Thank y'all. So encouraging. So encouraging. Man, praise the Lord. I heard or they sent these you know, testimonies, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, yay. The Lord's touching us, changing us. So cool. All right, so let's move on to the next one, love each other. Everybody say love each other. So we get uh, one of the verses that we get this from is right after what I just read earlier from Mark 12. Mark 12, 31 says that the second commandment, or second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And I love how the first and the second commandment go just hand in hand because the reality is, guys, and some of you really need to hear this, and me too, and just be reminded that you know, it is actually not possible to grow in your love for Jesus and not grow in your love for other people. And let me say it a different way. The litmus test, per se, of you growing in your love for God is if you're also growing in your love for people. Okay? It's like, oh, I'm so good at praying. I'm so good at fasting. I've memorized every New Testament scripture I could possibly think of. And, uh, and then someone asks you about people. I'm like, oh, I don't do people. They're, they're just annoying. <laughs> I'm like, there's something wrong there, <laughs> okay? Because when we get to know God and he just, his, his presence touches our hearts, what you're going to learn pretty quickly is that he really loves people. And it's going to affect the way that we love other people. And so we want to be a people that love each other. And really the definition, so to speak, if you're taking notes, is really everything I said about the first one of loving Jesus, all those adjectives and descriptions, now we just we direct it towards other people. It is a willingness to serve and sacrifice and lay our life down for another. It is caring deeply, learning to care and have affection for and empathy for and compassion for others around you. It is giving attention to others' needs. So a couple different ways that this can look for us. If you were continuing to take notes, there's a couple action points. Okay, it looks like serving others. A couple examples could be helping people move. It could be bringing meals to people. It could be raising money. You know, there's so many amazing testimonies of folks in this room that were in financial need, and their life group got around them and raised money to help pay bills, to help pay off debt. And it's just been so encouraging when the, when the Lord inspires his people to do that. And we get so touched by the fact that there are some people that actually care about me. 
Okay, other ways this looks is forgiving people that hurt us and wrong us. It also looks like confessing our sin to one another. And then maybe even more specific, when you hurt somebody else, knowingly or unknowingly, you're willing to humble yourself to them and say, I am so sorry, please forgive me. It can look like honoring each other with our words, and specifically when you're not around that person. It looks like not agreeing with any form of gossip or slander. It's believing the best. It's, it's building friendships that you have fun together. It's, um, you know, it could look like discipleship groups, which is kind of like um, guys, guys, girls, girls, small groups of people that usually are formed out of life group relationships where you hold each other accountable, you encourage each other, you pray for each other. Okay, it looks like um, watching uh, uh, the kids of some families so they can go on a date night. That's huge. Uh, it looks like serving on Sundays. It looks like using your gifts to strengthen the body. It looks even simply like consistency and your presence in environments. Like that is the way we can love each other as well. All right, here's a couple things to note about loving each other. The best way that we can live this out is in the con- here at Antioch is in the context of life group. Now, if I was a pastor of another church in town, I hope they would say the same thing. That the best way we can actually learn to love each other is not just on a Sunday service where all the chairs face the same way and you listen to one guy speak on a microphone. <laughs> you, can't, you can't get that close to me. Like You should be able to get close enough to people in this room that they might offend you. And then you have to walk out in these biblical commands of forgiving each other. <laughs> That's how close I want us to get, is that we actually have to work through conflict, even though I hate it. I hate conflict, and uh, some of you do too. Gosh, it's so uncomfortable, but it's so worth it. It strengthens relationships, and, um, and I want us to be that kind of people. And the, so the, anyways, the main way that we can do this is through life group, at least here. And so if you decide to go to another church or whatever, just, just find whatever, what does their life group, what does their small group look like? Get into relationships with others because that's how we embrace this biblical value of really loving each other. And we get this idea of life group from Acts 2, 42 to 47, which we read it almost every week at life group. And it says this, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. It's a beautiful, summarized picture of what the early church looked like. And this is what we're trying to embrace as we live in life group, as we live in relationship, that we would walk this kind of stuff out. We'd be so focused on the Lord. We would care for each other's needs, provide each other's needs, meet in homes, eat meals together, seek God together, and enjoy God's favor. And when we do this, you might want to, specifically with community, when we embrace this and this loving each other, not only do we get to know Jesus more and he changes us, but also we, we have a sense of belonging and a sense of family. And that is what your heart longs for. Every human heart longs for that sense of belonging, that sense of family, that you are valued and accepted. And it is both primarily from God, but God actually made you to have that sense of I need to feel belonged and a part of a family with other human beings. And when we embrace it, it changes us. So we're going to hear another couple testimonies. Uh, but how the Lord has used this loving each other, this life and community to transform some people's hearts in this uh, church. So I believe that is Amy and Joe. Is that right? Come on up here, guys. Give it up for these guys. Come and share this testimony. Who wants to go first? Rock, paper, scissors. All right. Go ahead, Joe. Hello, I'm Joe. Um, hey. Well, the first thing I think of is the fact that before Antioch, I started coming here a little over a year ago. Um, and the first thing that I think of is the fact that I didn't really go to a church before Antioch. Um, but I did have a personal relationship with God for about six years, six or seven years. And now after being on the other side of that, I can see how being a part of community has greatly impacted my understanding of scripture, the purpose of the church, uh, God's plans, 
um, and purposes on earth and also my specific calling and my assignments and stuff like that. And so it's like I see a more clear picture of everything and it's kind of coming together now that I have people in my life to walk with and to to spur me on and to challenge me. Um, and it's like a, another layer of, of relationship with God is up here and then another layer to fall back on. Um, so just a lot more security, um, a lot more joy, a lot more peace and hope. So, yeah. Um, so since coming to Antioch, I have experienced so much joy in getting to pursue Jesus um, alongside other believers. One of the most impactful things about being a part of Antioch has definitely been discipleship. Um, whenever I first started discipleship with Mara and Sophia, I would say that my um, time with Jesus was like semi-consistent, but being in the Word was really challenging. Um, but over the course of time of just knowing that weekly I was going to be asked about how my time with Jesus had been, it just drove me to be in the Word more. And I would say that what shifted is that over time, it grew from being a task and something that I had to accomplish um, to something that I desired to do and just found a lot of life in. Um, and so I would just say through that accountability and consistency, God has just really renewed my desire to be in the word and just even given me um, just like fresh perspective as I read it. Another way um, that being a part of this community has been great is through life group. Um, so this past semester, I joined a life group, and it's so simple. You're just meeting with people weekly, eating food. You're seeing the same people, reading the Bible, worshiping. Um, but what's so cool is that because it's the same people, you're getting to see the way that they're living their lives. And from what I understand, most of the people in my life group are just working like normal nine-to-fives. It's pretty simple. Um, but in their normal nine-to-fives, they're seeking to honor Jesus and honor him in everything. Um, and I think in that, I just got super convicted that our small yeses and small obediences are just so important um, in following Jesus. So... It. Amen. Awesome. Thanks for sharing, guys. That is so encouraging. Those simple yeses and obediences make a big difference and impact. Amen. All right, last but not least, let's talk about that last core value, live on mission. And here's a couple of verses that we get this from. Really, if you notice, at the very end of Acts 2, 42 to 47, it's that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And that kind of beckons the question, how were people being added day by day, and, and my simple answer is the disciples took seriously Jesus' command um, to go and make disciples. In Matthew 20, 18 through 20, it says this, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So a way to just define this value of living on mission. We call it mission because what I just read is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. It is like not just that we go on mission, but we're embracing a lifestyle of, Lord, wherever you want to show up today, I'm on board. I want to be open to what you're doing. I'm living my normal life, my normal nine to five. Uh, just because you're not working in a ministry setting doesn't mean you're not in ministry. Like even your work itself is unto the Lord and is pleasing to him. But then on top of that, there are people around you that God desires you to be around. And we get to be salt and light. We get to represent Jesus. And, um, and the biblical way to say that is we get to go and make disciples. So the way I would define it is first starting with caring about other people knowing Jesus. It starts with us caring about other people knowing Jesus. Then out of that, we look to be intentional to share Jesus with others. Here's a couple ways that it can look. It can look like uh, offering to pray for your waiter or waitress if you're sitting down at a restaurant. It could look like um, befriending someone who is different than you. It can look like being intentional with coworkers to have lunch or coffee and just get to know their life. Really start there. Who are you? And then who knows what conversation could come up of bringing up Jesus. It looks like sharing the gospel. Yes. It looks like um, praying and interceding for others in your workplace, in Northwest Arkansas, and your school, or wherever you are to come to know the Lord. And it looks like plugging into a life group, but even specifically, I phrased it this way, it, it, it looks like your life group and your friend group is open and inclusive to others, <laughs> where we're not just closed off, but we're eagerly wanting to invite other people into our life and into our friend groups. And then also, it looks like starting new life groups, multiplying life groups, sending out missionaries, planting churches, 
Okay, that's how it can look like here at Antioch is us embracing this lifestyle of living on mission. Now, here's a couple things to know about this topic and this value. One is that it is for everyone. Everybody say everyone. And say, that includes me. <laughs> okay, uh, you know, it would be really convenient for some of us if Matthew 28 said, okay, Jesus came and said to all the extroverts, go and make disciples. <laughs> <laughs> all right, or all the really personable people. Listen, so this is for everyone, but I also want to say if sharing the gospel or talking to people about Jesus or you know, living on mission is uncomfortable for you, it's okay. The Lord's not condemning you. Uh, it is uncomfortable for almost everybody, except some of you in this room. That I just don't get it, but you just, have, you just don't care what anybody thinks about you ever. Uh, anyways, we need to learn from them. And they need to learn from us. Anyways, all right. <laughs> um, so it is, it's okay. But all of us, all of us can pray for a coworker to give their life to Jesus. Okay? All of us can befriend someone new. Okay? All of us can uh, give money to a missionary or a mission trip that's going. All of us can, believe it or not, you can sign up to go on a mission trip. All of us can do this. Not everybody in this room is going to be sent out to be a full-time missionary or plant a church in the Middle East. Okay, Actually, very few of you will. But all of you will be sent out literally today to a restaurant. All of you will be sent out to your workplace tomorrow. And wherever we're going, we want to bring the presence of God and the love of God with us. Another thing to note that's really important here is that this uh, great, great commission, it's connected to a bigger a bigger story, and it's a bigger piece of God's heart. Matthew twenty four fourteen says, The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Another verse I could have referenced in Revelation 4 and 5, it, it gives this picture of heaven, and it describes people from every tribe, tongue, and language, and nation on the earth worshiping Jesus. You know what that means? The Lord's heart is not just for one local place, not just for one nation, but it is for the whole world. And us learning to embrace the Great Commission in our day-to-day life actually is connected to a larger story where the Lord wants to bring in people from all over the earth. It's connected to unreached people groups. Nod your head if you've heard that phrase before, unreached people groups. Yes. It's connected to, man, we want the gospel to go out to all these different places all over the earth and for there to be no more unreached people groups. Last thing I want to say about this topic, and it's a very important thing to note, is that if we want to embrace a lifestyle of living on mission, we cannot do it in our own power. It's not just, okay, yeah, I want to live on mission. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to do this. No, 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 no. Actually, Jesus said to his disciples, wait, Luke 24, wait until I send the power of my spirit. Another place he said it, Acts 1.8, it'll be on the screen. It says, when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so if we want to embrace a lifestyle of living on mission, we need to ask the Lord to fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Make sure we're operating not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And when we embrace this, um, what it does, it changes us, makes us like Jesus. We get to know him more, and it, and it gives us a sense of purpose and meaning in our life. Now, I'm going to invite up Kelly. I think she's going to share a quick testimony. Kelly, are you here? <laughs> <laughs> Kelly just got back from spending the summer in the Middle East and um, has a cool testimony and story of how the Lord is leading her uh, in the months uh, to come. So whatever you want to say. Don't tempt me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm probably the oldest person that shared today, so I'm old school with my paper and not my phone. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, hi, I'm Kelly. Yeah, I was in the Middle East this summer, and... So I'm just going to share, like, kind of what living on mission looked like for me, and then I'm going to share a testimony of something that happened this summer. Um, So living on mission for me has been very sacrificial. Didn't always have so much support when I first started doing missions. Um, I've sold collections of things um, that were really important to me. And then, like, just this past summer to prepare, like, I I quit. I had a career job at J.B. Hunt that I quit, and I sold my car because I really felt like God was saying, like, now is the time for me 
that this is this is what I've always felt like he's called me to do. And so I just really felt him saying now is the time. So I did these things like in faith as like that he was saying this is the next thing. And so it's just been it's really just been like, OK, God, I'll do it after another. It hasn't been always an easy yes right away, but it's been definitely like, a, OK, I'll do it. Um, the yeses get easier, though. And um, so someone once told me that God isn't looking for perfect faith. He's looking for obedience. And so I really just try to remember that, and that helps me with my yeses to him, too, is just being like, okay, he's just looking for obedience. I don't have to, like, be all the way there yet and knowing that, like, he's going to provide and everything. I'm just going to obey, and then he just, he does. He shows up every time. So this summer, I went, yeah, to the Middle East, and I met a woman from Sudan. If you don't know, Sudan, their native language there is Arabic. And if you don't know, um, I speak Arabic fluently. And so she was actually already reading the Bible with somebody um, in English, which is awesome. And um, but her understanding, I noticed her understanding of English. She could speak English really well. You could understand what she was saying very clearly. But her understanding of it was still like kind of low. And she was asking for um, translations a lot and there was somebody else I was meeting to help kind of translate things for her and so um, I just um, I have that bible in Arabic on my phone and so one time when I was I uh, was with her I just asked her I said hey do you want to read it in Arabic and not English and um, so we and she was like yeah actually and so we did we sat down and we read it in Arabic instead of English and I just watched her just started crying. Just started crying. I can't. Mitchell, stop asking me to come up here. But she just, she started, she just started crying because she just like, she just looked up at me and she was like, I've been doing things in my own strength and not relying on God. And I must, I have to ask God first before I make my decisions. And it just was like her own revelation of reading the Bible in her own language. Like, I didn't say anything. I just gave her my phone with the Bible in Arabic pulled up to, like, what we were reading. And it was just, that's it. And so, like, it says in Matthew 13, 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. And this is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And in her case, this is exactly what's happening. So many people are in house church because of her. She overhears people speaking in the cafeterias, at the malls and stuff like that. Wherever she goes, she's telling somebody about Jesus. And she's just like, man, it's just like this verse is living out in her life. And just to see her like be able to read the Bible. I helped her download the Bible. I, we found down Arabic in her her phone now, so she has it in her on her own now. Um, but anyway, it's just like, man, <laughs> hearing it and understanding it, and it's just like you don't know what part of the seed process that you're doing. It's not always about, she already knew about Jesus. She was already reading the Bible, but it was that second part, and you can repot a plant into new good soil. It doesn't have to stay in the the bad part of the soil, you know, <laughs> like we can repot things. You don't know where you're at in the process. And so I just want to encourage you that like, just because somebody already says like, oh, I already know Jesus, that doesn't mean like there isn't more to the story or there isn't something that you can still like grow or sow or whatever. You don't know if you're going to weed some like maybe uh, like just like misunderstandings they might have about Jesus or whoever. You don't know what your process is. And so anyway. I'm going off script, but um, that's all I want to say. <laughs> so good. Thank you. So encouraging. Praise God. And this, you know, a fun thing that I love about this story. I mean, it's just this, I, I mean, how do I say this? It's like, it's so random that Kelly is there doing that. <laughs> You're from Illinois. You came down here because and your brother said, hey, check out this church. You're like, okay, I guess I will. And you came, and then just the Lord reignited a dream in your heart that he had put years before. And then she says yes, and a bunch of people in this church 
provided for her and helped her get there to the Middle East this summer. It's just so awesome. And then you see testimonies like this. It's just like it's worth it to even be a little part of this story. It's just so awesome. And it's connected to something so much bigger. It's so amazing. And so the Lord will use any of us. If you feel like, you know, random person from Illinois that's in this room. Uh, <laughs> Then just like, you know, and it doesn't, it's not going to always look like that. That's her story. That's her assignment. It's going to look something different, but like the Lord will use your yes. And hers is not more radical because in the Middle East, if the Lord says, go be a teacher, then go be a teacher and go bring the kingdom of God, the presence of God there. Is this making sense? We want to be people that live on mission. And here's the deal, guys. It's going to be really hard. <laughs> if we embrace the, this stuff we're talking about today, it's going to be really hard to not see change, transformation, and impact in northwest Arkansas and really through us around the world. And so let me summarize a couple things to make sure that we are understanding what I'm saying, and then I'm going to invite the band on up. Uh, so here's a couple things that I want to make sure you don't miss, all right? So in regards to loving each other, or li- loving Jesus, loving each other, living on mission, uh, here's a couple ways that you've missed it if this is in your mind. You ready? If you're thinking these are the things that I need to do to earn something from God, we've missed it, all right? If this uh, was a list of things to prove that I'm a good Christian, no, we've kind of missed it. And if this is, <laughs> if you're also thinking, if I live these things out, then my life will be easier. You've also missed it. <laughs> um, but... Uh, what this is simply is our overflow of love back to God because we are already loved children, and we want our life to be his. It's also the way that we desire uh, to live here at this church, all right? So, Ben, go ahead and come on up, and I'm going to close it out with one more scripture, and then we're going to be done. So here is, in closing, this is kind of what I'm I want us to think about considering because, you know, this was hopefully insightful a little bit to what we're going for. And, and, and hopefully you see this is not just what we as a church are going for. This is what Scripture teaches us as followers of Jesus. But as, as I was processing this, I wanted to, I was reminded of a passage in Revelation chapter 2 where Jesus is communicating to a local church congregation. And he is encouraging them with a bunch of things that he sees them doing really well. But then he has one big concern, and in this case a rebuke. And I'm about to read it, and what I'm not doing is rebuking our church, but what I'm doing is just wanting to, like, peek into something that seems to be very important to Jesus, especially considering all the amazing things we can do in his name. I just want us to kind of go, go back to what is he really after first and foremost. This is from Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 through 4, to be on the screen. Jesus, again, is speaking to a church, and he says this. Hey, he says, hey, church. I know your works. Okay, I know what you're doing. I, I know your toil, your, your hard work, your patient endurance. You cannot bear with those who are evil. Okay, so we're not, we're not like putting up with junk and sin. We're saying, no, 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 we want a righteous lifestyle. Okay, but you've tested those that have called themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false. So we're growing in discernment. We're seeing what's from God and what's not. He says, I know you are enduring patiently you're bearing up for my name's sake like you're you're representing me well even my sacrifice he says you have and you have not grown weary like you haven't quit even though it's been difficult but here's what he says in verse four he says but i have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first in some translations it says you have left your first love and so here is my invitation to us, especially as we think about these things I just mentioned. And there's so many different encouraging testimonies under love each other and live on mission and all these different ways that we're like learning to serve each other and be friends. And some of you have been trauma- just amazingly impacted by community, which is awesome. Some of you are really going hard after Jesus to represent him in your workplace and do radical things and go overseas. But here is my reminder to us all is I want us to make sure anything we do for Jesus or even for each other flows out of our first love being our first love. It flows out of our actual vibrant relationship with Jesus. This is our first love. There are so many different great things that we can do for God, but I just don't want us to miss the best thing. 
Which if you remember the story of Mary and Martha, Martha was serving because Jesus was at her house and she's like freaking out because she's doing so much for the Lord and she rebukes Mary and says, Jesus, what about Mary? She's just sitting at your feet listening to you. And Jesus probably graciously says, hey, Mary's chosen the better thing. She's chosen the better part. So as it pertains to our values and all the ways it can look, listen, it is amazing to be passionate about sharing the gospel. So don't stop being passionate for that. It's amazing about meeting the needs, to be passionate about meeting the needs of the poor. It's amazing to be a part of life group and life-giving community. It's amazing to have friends um, that love Jesus and are helping you love Jesus. It's amazing to influence about the ending of human trafficking. It's amazing to dream about the unreached people groups around the world being reached. That is amazing. But I want all of that to flow, and I believe the Lord wants all of that to flow out of our first love being our first love, out of intimacy and love for Jesus. Now listen, if you embrace this, I just need to remind you of something. It is not easy, easily received because it is hard to measure by quantity you growing in your first love. For example, it's a lot easier when somebody asks me, how's the church going, Mitchell? You know what they're asking me? How many people are at your church? That's what they're asking me. How's your church going? You know, like my parents were in town a couple weeks ago, and they're like, and my mom's kind of like walking around the building. She's like, you know, uh, um, so, you know, are, are, are people in these chairs on Sundays? You know, <laughs> you know and I'm, just, I'm thinking of creative ways to answer that question. And one of the ways is like, well, there's always six people at our church. Me, Beth, and my four children, all right? Uh, they're, we're a part of Antioch, all right? And I just, I like feel like because our culture measures success by how much and how many, it is easy to belittle growing in your love for Jesus, okay? So for example, I'm spending a lot of time in our prayer room up there, uh, and it is like the best thing that I do with my time. Because when I'm presenting my heart before the Lord, you know what's happening? I don't even know, but my heart is changing. My heart is warming to him, and through that, my heart is warming to other people, and I'm getting transformed and changed, and I'm getting to know Jesus more. And what you want is not some person up here trying to lead the way that's just so impressive and can do a lot, but you, you want to be around people that know Jesus and know him well. And that's what I want us to be reminded, especially as we're about to enter in a new semester, is, hey, we want to be a people that keep our first love as our first love. And so this is a call this morning to return back and remain at our first love as we close. So let's stand to our feet. There you can take all that. I'm going to pray a prayer over us that the Lord, you can also kill the lights. Uh, I'm going to pray a prayer over us, and then we're going to just have an opportunity to respond to the Lord uh, through worship. I'm going to pray a prayer over us that the Lord gave me, I think it was my sophomore year of college. It was over a Christmas break. So it was cold. I was at my house in my living room all alone. The fire was going. And it was like one of those settings where I was just hoping it was going to be so cozy, just drinking hot chocolate. But then I started like reading the Bible and started thinking about Jesus. And then I got this like picture, this image as I also was reading scripture of Jesus with fire in his eyes. That's how he's described in Revelation chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 19, like this intense Jesus with fire in his eyes. And that fire is not something that is really, I mean, it can lead us to a place of fearing God, but it's also like a penetrating love that just searches right through us. And as I was processing this with the Lord, I was just like, my prayer was like, Lord, I know you see me and I know you see right through any facade I can put up. And there's this little verse in Revelation 3, 1, which I think will be on the screen. And he's talking to a different church, and he says, Hey, you, church, have a reputation, or you have a name that you are alive. But Jesus says, I see that you are dead. Therefore, wake up. And what I was thinking about that, at that time, sophomore year of college, I was leading a ministry thing, and my friends knew that I loved Jesus and had a passion for Jesus. But what prayer came out of my heart during that time was, Man, Lord, you see what's really going on. And even though I, quote unquote, have a reputation of being alive, I want you to look at me and see life. And that's what I care most about. And my prayer was, Lord, I want to be more alive on the inside than what anybody can think I am when they look at me on the outside. 
because you can't see this. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know this. And nobody really around this room knows this. And I just want us to be people that just we prioritize the, the right thing. We're not trying to look like we are playing the part, but we are genuinely saying, Jesus, take all my heart, put a real, genuine, fresh fire of love in my heart for you. And I want there to be more going on inside of here than anyone will ever be able to tell. So I'm going to pray that over us, and then we're just going to respond. And this is a song about returning to our first love, and whatever you need to do to respond to the Lord, just do it. If you want to come to the front and kneel, great. If you want to turn to somebody next to you and say, will you please pray for me? I just need this. Um, then, then feel free to do that. All right? So let's pray. Lord, here we are this morning. Thank you for reminding us who you've called us to be. But Lord, even now, as we respond, just primarily, Lord, we want to be a first love people. Jesus, that you are our first love. Our one and main primary desire and everything in our life flows out of that place of this consistency and closeness and intimacy with you. So Lord, this morning we ask you to return us to our first love. I pray that we would be a people that are more alive on the inside than what anybody could ever tell or see on the outside. Lord, you mark us as those people. In Jesus' name, let's just respond to the Lord.